If you would turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter two, uh, 22, we're going to get started here this morning. I have thoroughly enjoyed preaching and teaching on the sovereign Lord and just talking about His sovereignty, how He is above all things, in all things, through all things. Uh, we talked a lot about a lot of different things over the last several weeks, and it has encouraged me. Uh, the scripture talks about you who teach, do you teach yourselves? I have learned a lot. The Spirit of God has taught me a lot, is awakening my spirit to a lot. And uh, we're just going to keep teaching on this topic until he's done with it. Amen. Is that okay? Next week, I plan on talking about God's provision and healing. Have you ever needed healing in your life before? Amen. Have you ever seen healing in your life before? God is good and God is faithful. And uh, today, I want to talk to you about his provision. His sovereign provision. His provision that is sovereign, meaning it's above us, it's beyond us, it's beyond our resources, it's beyond our knowledge, it's beyond our understanding, meaning that God is able to provide and able to do things that you and I cannot comprehend. We can have faith for things that we don't understand, faith for things that most people would call us crazy for. Can I get an amen? And we can actually see God move in those circumstances. Your heavenly Father is sovereign and He's above everything. There is no financial situation that He can't fix. There is no bondage that He can't break. There is nothing that, doesn't, that, that, that is outside of the spectrum of what God can deal with. He can manage all of it. When I was a little kid, I know I've told this story before, but bear with me. When I was a little bitty kid laying in the back of the station wagon... Headed into town, I can tell you where I was at on the road. I remember the thought process laying, yes, in the back window of the station wagon. This was back when seatbelts were in the car, but they were a suggestion, not a law. You know what I'm talking about? What was more important is, is that the kids would get to where they're a place they're comfortable and shut up. My spot was in the back, in the back window. It was called the spot. My sisters conveniently changed my name to the spot. Spot, get in your spot, spot. So as Spot was laying in the spot, I laid back there and I could look out of the curved station wagon window and I see above me a half a moon. Half a moon. And I laid there and something clicked in me and I said, Dad, the moon's broke. I need you to fix the moon. And of course, everyone did in the car like you did. Of course, my sisters, I'm sure. That's stupid. Shut up and come on your spot. I don't remember that so much, but I do remember my dad saying, oh, I'll get around to it. I'll get her fixed. And you know what he did? It wasn't long and it was a full moon again. And in my mind, in my, in my mind, I actually, when dad said, oh, no, don't worry, I'll get around to it. I laid there and I actually thought to myself, and in my mind, envisioned my dad getting a ladder. I'm not kidding you. Leaning it up against the moon and crawling up and fixing the light bulb that was out, half of it. I don't know. But in my mind, that's what I envisioned. I believed my father could fix everything. Anybody else ever think that about your dad at one point in your life? There's not anything that the man can't fix. He can fix it all. But I come to find out as I got older that there's not everything that, you know, there's some things my dad can't fix. You know, he can't can't fix my poor decisions and my consequences. And he he can't make everything in my life go like he wants. I'm a dad... And I know there's dads in the room, and dads love to bless their kids. And dads love to uh, give their kids an opportunity to be successful. Dads like to pour into them gifts. Dads like to give things to them. Dads want to, want to let's say, that's my boy. Remember the whole Bill Cosby thing? That's my boy. That's my boy. He's got the football, run down the field, chases people, knocking down, scores a touchdown. That's my boy. That's my boy. 
You know, we have that mentality. We want to, we want to see our kids successful and blessed. But there, I also have learned as a father that there's some things I can't do for them. Some things I can't fix. And it's hard because when they're sitting next to you with tears running down their face, you can't fix what other people have said or what other people have done, what other people have, have had opinions about. But I'm here to tell you today that, that no matter what you face in life, and I have learned that from that child in the back seat of that station wagon that saw a broken moon to being a teenager to being an adult, I've seen that, that the problems don't go away. They only become more complicated, don't they? The problems become more complicated in life. And sometimes, and most of the time, a lot of those problems are out of our control and beyond us. And we have to step back and we have to have faith that there's a Heavenly Father that is capable of providing. Have you ever lived in a situation where you've said, God, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. I don't know where the next dollar's coming from. I don't know where the food's going to be. I don't know who's going to pay my bills. God, I don't know what is going to take place. But I want you to know and I want you to understand this morning as we go through this that there is a God who knows you, loves you, sees you, and can provide for you. Look at Genesis 22, if you will. We see a man with a problem. Abraham wants to obey God. God makes a request of Abraham. Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love, and I want you to go into the region of Moriah, and I want you to go upon the hill that I point you to, and I want you to sacrifice him there unto me. That right there is a dilemma. Abraham, I want you to take this son that I have given you, that I have blessed you with, that I have provided to you in your old age, 90 years old. (laughs) Dear Lord, you've waited your entire life. You've waited a lifetime for this child and I've blessed you with him. And now I want you to sacrifice him to me. Let's look. Genesis 22, verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here am I. He replied, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up there in a thicket. He saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. What faith to say, we are going up and we will return. 
What faith? What faith to say? Because he knew in his heart he was going to obey the Lord. And Abraham didn't lie when he looked at his son and his son said, Dad, where is the lamb? Where is the lamb for the sacrifice? You know what I love about Abraham? He's taught, he taught his children about sacrifice. His son, this isn't the first time his son had ever seen sacrifice. I love that about Abraham. You know what? Every one of our kids over there shouldn't be shocked the first time they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? Why are we going to church, Daddy? To learn about Jesus? Yes, son. He said, where's the lamb? The the boy was old enough. He understood that it wasn't right. There there was something going on. But Abraham knew this about God. And here's what we've got to get into our spirit. Here's what Abraham had that you and I a lot of times don't have when trouble comes. When trouble comes, we quickly assume the worst in God. We quickly get mad. We quickly get offended. We get upset. Say, well, I'm going to quit going to church. I've done this. I've done X, Y, Z. And God's not blessing me like I should be blessed. Well, I'm going to give up. What's the point in trying? I've done this. They said that. I've done this. And now this is happening in my life and it's hard. Listen to me, child of God. God sees you. He loves you. He knows you. And He's good. Abraham knew God was good. And he told him this, in his mind, something happened from the time God spoke to him to the next morning. Abraham knew this about God. He thought, he's either going to stop me and provide a lamb, or he's going to raise my son from the dead. Hebrews 11.19 says that. Makes that clear that Abraham's thought process was that he's going to raise my son from the dead. He went to the top of that mountain knowing this, that God had made promises. God said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to give you a son. He talked about his seed. He talked about generations. He talked about nations. And listen, folks, nations don't come from a dead boy. But in this situation, he said, God's going to raise him back to life. God's going to do a work. God's going to heal him. Or he's going to provide a lamb for the sacrifice. Abraham was a man of faith. Abraham had something in his spirit. Abraham knew that God was sovereign. Abraham knew that death itself couldn't stop God. Abraham knew that God was the author of life. Abraham knew that God could breathe into the boy's body and put him back together. Abraham had full confidence that God was either going to spare him, provide a sacrifice, or raise him from the dead. How many times have we walked into circumstances in our lives with that kind of confidence? The reason we don't most of the time is because we have limited God in our minds. And if we are going to be real honest with ourselves, a lot of times we have made God out as though he were not good. And we stop and we say, oh God, oh great, now God's judging me. You ever felt like God was just punishing you for something you didn't know what it was? Can I tell you something? If God's going to bring judgment or discipline upon you, he's a good father. He's not abusive. You will know exactly what it was for. He doesn't just walk in and beat his kids and scream at them and walk out and say, what was that for? Sometimes we create our own issues. Sometimes by our sin we bring things into our lives. Sometimes we do things wrong that he disciplines us for. But then there are some things that he allows us to go through because we must learn to depend upon him. Abraham, this is one of these things. He didn't feel sorry for himself. He didn't judge God. He didn't get mad. He didn't become bitter or angry. He didn't accuse God of stealing things from him. If you've got a piece of paper, if you've got something you want to put on your phone, whatever it is, put it on Facebook. I don't care. Put it on Instagram. Put it on Snapchat. I don't care. Take a cool duck face picture and be like, type this under it. 
God's greatest provisions come through the most desperate of circumstances. God's greatest provisions come through the most desperate of circumstances. You say, Pastor, that's crazy. I thought, I thought if I believed God, I thought if I, I, I served God, then everything was going to be okay for me. i got a picture up here I want to show you in just a second. I, was, I, I walked into the church Wednesday morning, and I saw a box sitting outside of the office door, and it's from a company that I'm not going to name because I don't want to run them down. But we've ordered things from them before, and uh, hundreds and hundreds of items from them over the years. And, uh, and, and I saw this box, and this is what the box said. Everything Christian for less. First time I ever saw it in my life. And it just stopped me in my tracks. And I giggled at it and I looked around to see if anybody could giggle with me. Nobody giggled, so I took a picture of it. Everything Christian for less. Isn't that like us in the good old United States of America? Now stop looking at my bald spot and look at the screen. Everything Christian for less. This mentality that says, I want to serve God, but I don't want to have to deal with the cost of serving God. Now I know, stop right there, everybody say, but Pastor Bob, this is, just a, this, is, this is just a motto that an advertising company has used to try to get us to see that you can buy cheap products here. I, I get that. I understand that. And I know what they're trying to say. But this, this statement is more than that to the church in America. We want everything Christian for less. We want less cost, more Christian. We want to look like a Christian. We want the Christian t-shirt. We want to go to all the conferences, but we don't want it to cost us anything. First time something goes wrong, we're ready to take Jesus off. We're ready to turn and run. You know what? Something didn't go right at that church. I'm gone. Something was said, oh, I'm done with it. Oh, no. Preacher got up and talked bad about a new member of the church in front of everybody. <laughs> you know what? Your parachute wasn't put on to make your ride comfortable. It was there to save your life. You get on an airplane and you're flying and they come on and they say, look, we have, we're running out of gas. We're not going to have enough fuel to get to our destination. The plane is going down. There's no doubt it's going down. It's hopeless. It is going to end in destruction. Would you like a parachute? Yes! Yes, I would. Very much, I would like a parachute. Thank you very much. And you put the parachute on, and you sit there and hold on to your parachute, waiting for the door to open. Because now, things have changed. Amen? But in America, we advertise Jesus not like He's our parachute on a burning ship that's going down. We advertise Him like this. You need to become a Christian. We've got a great church. We offer a lot of wonderful things. And he's going to enhance your life. And you're going to really, really... He's got a great plan for your life. His plan is, is to save you from hell. That's the plan. The plane's going down, folks. Your life is going to end in destruction if you don't put him on. This is no longer about comfort. It's about salvation. It's about save me from myself. But see, because Jesus has sold the people with comfort, we put Him on the first little discomfort we have. We're upset because we want everything Christian for less. Just look at me and smile. At me. Remember, remember when you said did this whole pastor appreciation thing before church? <laughs> God is sovereign, church. And He knows the answer to the question I'm about ready to ask. 
How many wonderful blessings have we traded in for our comfort? How many wonderful blessings have we traded in for our comfort? There are some things I've gone through in my life that while I was going through them, I hated it and I wished it never happened. But now when I look back, I say, thank you, God. We have to remain faithful. Abraham remained faithful because he knew God was sovereign. He knew God had a bigger plan. He knew God was doing something. I would say that Abraham had a pretty desperate circumstance. And he could have argued with God. He could have resisted and waited, but he didn't. He had seen God move. He had heard His voice. He had seen His angel. He had sacrificed to Him. He was fully surrendered into covenant with Him. Because of this, the most difficult request could not bring forth the answer, no. No one faced any greater circumstances than our Savior. Remember, I'm talking. I'm talking about the fact that God's greatest provisions come through the most desperate of circumstances. You can't have one without the other. You can't have one without the other. There's going to be desperation. There's going to be desperate circumstances. And we're going to go through things, but God can provide. Amen? Hebrews 12.2 says this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus as our example, the author and perfecter of our faith. We talk about Abraham being our father of faith, but it says here that Jesus is the author. He was the author of Abraham's faith, and he's the perfecter of the faith that he birthed in man. Who for, your, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, he had to endure some stuff. He had to endure some shame, some scorn and things, but there was a joy in him. Because he knew that the present struggle was going to be temporary, and he looked ahead to the joy ahead. He knew there was a provision, he knew there was life that was coming from it. It's like a remember when April was pregnant with Alyssa. Nine months, nine months watched her struggle and fight and cankles. Mamas, you get cankles and swollen feet. I, I rubbed swollen feet every night. And, and watching the belly grow and, and watching her endure for nine months and looking ahead to the labor that would be very difficult, painful, but would bring forth the joy that she was looking for. The struggles that we face in our lives sometimes is that God is birthing something in us that He wants to bring forth in us that we don't even know we have an opportunity to receive. He wants to provide for us something greater. He wants to provide something greater than what is natural here. It was in the disciples. Jesus worked. Jesus worked. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus provided salvation and life. The disciples picked up on his attitude and they weren't afraid of dying for their faith, for suffering, for their Savior. As a matter of fact, they were rejoicing for suffering. There was joy set before them. I can't help but think of Paul and Silas as they were inside of a prison, having had their backs ripped off and, and, and stripped with rods and, and their, their wounds were open on their back as they rest against the wall with their hands and feet shackled in chains and they lay there and move and with every move they can feel the tinge and the sting of the pain of open wounds and the grit and the sand and the dirt getting inside of those wounds as they were moving and trying to get comfortable and something dawned upon them we can become angry upset or we can worship God and at midnight hour they just begin to lift their hands in praise 
And they begin to worship God. And they begin to sing to God. In the midst of their desperate circumstance, they believed God for provision. They weren't asking for anything. There was a joy inside of them because they knew God was going to do something through all of this. They understood that God was sovereign. They understood that God was above all the things that they faced. And they raised their hands and they began to pray and to sing. And you know what God sent them? An earthquake. But not just any earthquake, an earthquake that caused, it was a spiritual earthquake that caused the shackles to fall off and the prison doors to open up and they stayed in their cell. What? The guard, just as he's getting ready to kill himself, they said, no, 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 don't, 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 don't do that. We're still here. Everybody's still here. It's okay. You don't have to kill yourself. And this guy's blown away. He's just seen these people have their backs ripped off. Now they're singing praise to their God in their prison. And somebody just opened up everything. And they didn't leave. He said, can you tell me how to be a Christian? Can you tell me how I can receive salvation? They said, well, sure. We'll tell you. And he takes them to his house, feeds them, cleans up their wounds, blesses them, puts them back. You know what happens the next day? God delivers them from the jail that they're in. You say, what are you trying to say, Pastor? There is no bondage. No matter what your circumstance is, no matter what's happened, no matter what you've done, there is a God that is able to take it and turn it for good. These men were in there innocent. They didn't do anything wrong, but yet there were still people in there that weren't innocent. And through the innocent people's, get this, the innocent people's uh, punishment, the innocent people's suffering, those who were not innocent witnessed the power of God in them and they were saved. They were saved when innocent people suffered. Everything Christian for less, right? They'd given all because they knew who held all in their hands. They gave all because they knew who God was. And the next time, church, I encourage you that a desperate situation arrives in your life. Have confidence in the one that has all the provision you need at his disposal. Remember, there was something that was birthed in Jesus that brought joy and strength to press on to provision. The same with the apostles. They would press on and see the miraculous. Abraham pressed on because he believed God for the miraculous. Remember who your God is the next time something desperate happens. Remember that he fed millions in the wilderness for over 40 years. Remember that He fed them manna and quail. Remember that He made water come from a rock. Remember that their clothes and their sandals didn't wear out. Now listen, I had kids, and I know that kids, you can't keep kids in the same clothes from spring to fall. Something happens to the clothes from spring to fall. That's why you always go buy new clothes at the start of school, because the clothes that was just fine two and a half months ago, suddenly is either full of holes or they're this much too short. And if you put the kid in that to go to school, they say, hey, when's the flood coming? <laughs> Nobody wants that for their kid. Got your high waters on, don't you? I know this about Kevin. It was always his left knee that went out first. This giant hole would appear in his left knee. And it was a mystery. It's like, why always the left knee? Why not the right knee? And I would look at it, and after a while, I'm starting to like this scientific experiment, starting to observe why it was always the left knee. Is he like, got a saw and he cuts on that one or what? And finally I realized that when he played with his trucks on the floor, he would pull the truck up with his right hand and put his weight on his right hand, and then he would spin on his left knee. And he would play, and he'd go, and he'd spin on his left knee, and he'd spin on his left knee. I'm like, stop it! 
With kids, you can't keep them in their clothes, man. And yet, these people for 40 years wore the same clothes. They didn't wear out. I hope they didn't stink. I hope God went beyond that. Listen, He's the same one that fed 5,000 people with two bread and two fish. He, two bread, five loaves, two fishes. Right? That's right. My mind's leaving me for some reason. It's t- again, it's that April's my ADHD spiritual medication. So Jesus takes the fish, cooked dead fish, breaks it in half, and causes cooked dead fish to reproduce. Happened again for uh, 4,000. Listen, we could go down the list. Desperate circumstances. Desperate situations. Think about Elijah being fed by ravens. Think about Peter. (laughs) This one gets me. Peter. Jesus says, well, Peter, we've got to pay the temple tax. Peter's like, okay. Go out and cast your line into the water and pull up a fish and there'll be a four drachma coin in it and we can pay our temple tax. Okay. Do you realize what had to happen for that to happen? Other than God just making the coin appear, let's look at it from from God manipulating the natural. Somebody had to drop their money into the water. They drop a coin into the water, a little ADHD fish swims by and goes, shiny! (laughs) Eats the coin. Swimming around with this coin in his mouth. Can't digest it. Won't spit the coin out. It's just like, coin. <laughs> he's, got a, he's got a fish grill going on. <laughs> Smiles and there's a gold coin in his mouth. So then, finally, he swims around. He's like, <laughs> bites the hook. Pulls him up and he goes, takes the coin out and goes, do you realize how miraculous our God is? He can make anything happen to meet your needs. He can make anything happen. Now, folks, I'm not telling you to be irresponsible. I'm not telling you to be stupid. You've got to do what you've got to do, and you have to obey God's word. Amen? You have to obey, but he is able. And the psalmist wrote, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or God's people begging for bread. Number two, not only is it desperate circumstances, but provision is cooperative. Now, I know I've talked about this before in some context. Provision is cooperative. But here's the process. Here's what happened in Abraham's life. You ready? God spoke. Abraham obeyed. God provided. You ready? Say it with me. God spoke. Abraham obeyed. God provided. Do you see how the provision is cooperative? Do you realize if Abraham would not have obeyed God, he would not have received the provision and the blessing and the continued promise of God's covenant with him? There was a God speaking, Abraham obeyed, and the promise followed. Look at verses 3 and 4 with me, if you will. Early the next morning. Everybody say early. Early Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of the servants and his son Isaac. When he'd cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Provision, folks, sometimes will require our obedient involvement. Let me rephrase that. Provision will require our obedient involvement on some level, 100% of the time. God's provision for us will require our obedient involvement on some level, 100% of the time. 
We see here that Abraham was given a very difficult thing to do. It challenged his faith. It challenged his strength as a father, but he moved in obedience. It wasn't even a quick journey. They had to travel for three days. Get this. This is what God told him to do. He said, this is where I want you to go, Abraham. You got to go over there and sacrifice your son. Abraham goes, well, it's a three-day journey. Better go to bed. Get up early. Come on, let's go. Gets up, cuts wood. Takes the wood for the sacrifice. Grabs everything, has the fire, has the knife, has his boy, has the servants. And says, all right, we got the wood, let's go. Three-day journey, three days. Think about it, three days with each step thinking, God's really asking me to go and sacrifice his son. So, sometimes, sometimes I wonder if it wasn't a one-day journey and Abraham's a little bit like, you ready to change your mind yet, Lord? It was early. You say, Pastor, what are you getting at? Listen, if God asks you to do something, if you need provision from the Lord, here's my advice to you. You ready? Leave early and walk late. Leave early and walk late. What, what does that mean, Pastor? Why do you say leave early and walk late? Because it's cooperative. And if you want to see the, the provision that you need from God, you better get up early and go with Him early. You better do what it is He's spoken to your heart. You better obey what you need to obey. And you better do it long because three days journey is a long journey. And at the end of the three day journey is a hill to climb where you have to sacrifice your son. That doesn't sound like fun. You say, Pastor, what is all this cooperative thing? Listen, this whole thing about provision, I need to hurry, uh, but, but this provision thing is cooperative. God put Adam and Eve into the garden, and he told Adam to work the garden. He told Adam to work the garden. He didn't make fruit to grow on plates. He made it to grow on trees and gave Adam arms and, and toes to stand upon and arms to reach to pick the fruit. Amen? And he didn't make vegetables to grow in sinks. I know, when I was a kid, that's where they always showed up, cutting the vegetables and cleaning the vegetables. They don't grow in sinks, they grow out on the ground or out of the ground, and God gave man knees and backs to bend to pick them. It's cooperative, amen? And God, even when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, God gave them manna to eat, but it didn't appear on their plate. He said, go out and find it. Amen? Well, Pastor Bob, that's just not completely true. Jesus went to the cross, and there's not anything... Listen, He went to the cross, He made a provision for us, His blood was shed, He died for our sins, but it's up to us to have faith and believe and obey to receive the provision someday in eternity. Amen? Amen. That's how God works. He's, his provision is cooperative. We must cooperate. We, we, can't, we even have to grow in our faith. It requires our cooperation with God. We can't go home, get saved, go home and lay down the bed and say, Okay, God, I want you to make me a brand new person and I want you to make me the wisest theologian in the whole world. I'm going to lay right here and you just pour yourself into me. <laughs> it's not how it works. Where's the cooperation of you asking, seeking, and knocking? Where's, where's the cooperation of you going through some trials and, and carrying some things through some hardships so that you can bring glory to Christ? Where is all that? Well, we all want Christianity for less. No, that's not how it works. God speaks. You obey. He brings the provision. Y'all still with me? You say, Pastor, I don't know. I just want God to provide everything. Well, Proverbs says if a man don't work, he don't eat. You know what that means, don't you? That means God gave you the ability to work, then you better work, and He's going to make sure you have work so that you can provide what He's given you. Amen? That's how it works. 
Just look at me and smile real big. Y'all just real scary today. Remember that video we watched? Just kidding. Never mind. Respond early and walk late. Sometimes provision is going to require a three-day journey and a mountain to climb. Abraham had three days to think about it. Sometimes the greatest struggle will come just before the victory. At the end, he had to climb a mountain to sacrifice his son. He had to climb a mountain to obey God in something he did not want to do. And there are and there will be times where we have to obey God, even when it isn't fun, but we must always remember there is a reward at the top of the mountain. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. What is it that's good? What's good is, is you obey the Lord, you seek Him, you seek His kingdom, you seek His righteousness, and we're going to become like the Elijahs of the world. Elijah, who was on a journey of depression. Elijah, who was hurt. Elijah, who sat in the valley and was by a brook, and God fed him with ravens, a nasty, dirty bird, bringing him food to eat. And Elijah was content with that. And God said, Oh no, I, I could speak to you right here, Elijah, but I don't want to do that. I want to make you climb a mountain first. Go here. And he went. Think about Moses. Cross the Red Sea. Great victory. Ah, everybody's singing and rejoicing. Horse and rider thrown into the sea. They're singing all these songs and they're rejoicing. And then everybody complains. Hey, where's the food? Hey, where's the water? We're all going to die. You bring us out here to die? We should have stayed back there and ate leeks and garlic. Moses' journey was not a fun one. Everybody's like, wow, Moses was just a great, great man. Moses was a great man. And I would say, who wants to be Moses? Well, I don't want to be Moses. I want to have everything Christian for less. (laughs) Moses had to put up with some junk, man. He had to drag these angry, idol-filled people out of a nation that hated God and hated them, he gets in the wilderness and he has to walk a long journey and God says, hey, climb the mountain. He gets the Ten Commandments, comes down, they're still jacked up. He smashes the Ten Commandments. He's like, why did I do that? Has to go back up and go through it again. God will call us to mountains to climb. What about Jacob? What about Jacob and his children, Israel and his children? They, how many trips did they have to make to Egypt before they finally got to go and receive the provision that God had for them? Multiple times. The children of Israel, 40 years in the wilderness. Listen, folks, when we look at the people of God and the Word of God, sometimes the journey to the provision is a long journey. And I'm here to tell you that even though 75, 80, 90 years, does, it seems like a lifetime, in light of eternity, it's worth the journey. Trust me, stay on it. Stay on it. Don't take the parachute off. Don't take it off. Don't turn away from God. Every test, lastly this morning... Every test will always, everybody say always. Always. Every test will always prove God to be faithful. Look at verse 14. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Abraham called that place. The Lord will provide. Hmm. That place. The place of God's provision. The place where He gave His Son life again. The place where God didn't destroy the promises that He had given Him. Abraham, this place right here. You know where that place later became? Believed to have become? 
the Temple Mount. Same place where God provided a lamb, the Temple Mount was later built by Solomon. Established in this place that God had made provision. And the temple was established and built over a long period of time. And Solomon stands out front and prays. And God's presence fills the temple like a smoke, like a cloud. So full that the priests couldn't do their work. Wouldn't that be nice if the church was so full of the presence of God that the pastors couldn't do their work? I didn't have to preach. People just come in and have their needs met. That's awesome. You say, okay, pastor, okay, so the temple is the place of provision. What does the temple represent? Well, we know the temple. We talked about the boundaries of it and so on and so forth. But there was the building that had the holy place and the holy of holies within it. And, and, and it, was, it was a rectangle divided into two perfect cubes. And the first cube that you came to was called the holy place. And that was a place where the priests would come in. They would offer incense. They'd eat the showbread. They would, they would, they would minister before the Lord and worship and all these things. And then there was the holy of holies. It had the Ark of the Covenant, a few other items in it. And, and this place right here was where the presence or the Shekinah glory of God dwelt where you could visibly see God that that moment where it was all filled with the presence of God it receded into that side of it and was there and the priest the high priest could only go in there one time of a year what's the purpose of the temple what's the purpose of of the temple mount and this is where the Lord provides hear me when I say God is sovereign he laid out a plan folks and then Paul says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit whoa hold on a second I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. The temple is a representation of your body and my body, our lives. Somewhere inside of us, in the spiritual dwelling of our body, inside of us, our spirit man, there is room for us to dwell and there is a place for God to dwell. And for us to commune together. It is in this place where God provides. It's in this place the Lord provides. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor Bob? Don't you remember when Jesus hung on the cross? See, all this is pointing to Christ. Jesus hung on the cross and he gives up his spirit and the earth shook and it got dark and it says the temple curtain, that curtain between the holy place and the holy of holies was brick, was bricken, what is bricken? Ripped in two from the top to the bottom. And God left the man-made temple and went to dwell in man's temple. Are you still with me? We've gone from Mount Moriah We have the sacrifice of a ram. We have the lamb being slain in the place of man. We have the temple where multiple sacrifices were offered, where God and man would would worship together and commune and fellowship. That was the hub, the center of, of God's presence, ministering to man to where Jesus goes to the cross, dies. The Spirit of God leaves that, that place and now goes and dwells within us. And Jesus breathes on the disciples and says, Receive you now the Holy Spirit. And He enters into them and even in greater power later at the day of Pentecost. Folks, what I'm trying to say is, is that you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And where Abraham was at, he said, This place, this place, I will call the Lord provides. 
Abraham said, that place the Lord will provide. This place where we are, the Lord will provide. This place is the temple. This place is the working of God. This place is the working of Christ. Now he dwells inside of us. And you want to know something cool about being a child of God and a son of the most high sovereign God? You want to know a really cool thing about it? At this place he provides. And wherever the moving foundation of this temple goes, I know I'm looking more like a mega church nowadays, but I'm going to come over here and it's in this place that He will provide. Everywhere I go, when I'm in my home, whatever it is I need in my home, it's in that place that He will provide. If I have a need at my work, I can stand there in confidence and I can ask and it's in that place that He will provide. If I'm driving down the highway then I'm driving down the car and it's a little scary, I know that it's in that place that He will provide. When I walk into the doors of the school teenager and I go in the hall and there's stuff happening around me that's frustrating me, I sit in the class with an abusive teacher that's, that's, that's ribbing me for being a Christian, it's in that place that God will provide. It doesn't matter where you are. If you're on a sports field, if you're in the courthouse, if you are down the street here somewhere else, it's in that place that God will provide. Jehovah Jireh. He's sovereign. The psalmist says this, he says, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from you? He says, if I go to the other side of the ocean, you'll be there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. You're there. Where can I go that I'm not provided for? When you have done all that you can do, when you have exhausted all of your resources whether the doctors have said there's nothing else or the doctors have said this or that or, or, or the bill collectors, this or that, and you've done everything that you could do. You can't help that those, those uh, hospital bills came in. You can't help that. I'm not talking about just spending our money wildly and expecting God to fix it. He's not going to do that. He's got to fix you. Amen? But if there's a circumstance where you've been faithful and you come to a place to where it doesn't seem like no matter, no matter what I do... Uh, I'm just done. There's not anything else I can do. You need to make sure that you're looking to God and you say, it's in this place that my Father will not let me be destroyed. It's the promise of the atonement. It's the promise of the blood of Jesus in your life as a child of God. You say, Pastor, I have needs. I have things I have. I, 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 it worries me. In chapter 6 of Matthew, Jesus is found standing on a mountain, teaching. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in chapter 6, Jesus begins to comfort those that are listening, both his disciples and those hearers that just walked up to hear a man teaching. They, this is what he spoke to them. He begins to tell them about the birds of the air and how they don't sow or reap, how they don't go out and plant their own food and reap it, yet God provides for them. Other versions talk about the sparrows and how not one falls to the ground without him knowing it, without him being aware of that one. And Jesus says, aren't you more valuable than many sparrows? He says, so don't worry about it. Don't worry about your food. 
And he starts to talk to them about clothing. And he says, look at the valleys of the fields. Look at, look at how the lilies cover the valleys and how beautiful it is. And how God, if God is going to clothe the grass of the field like that, which, which is here today and gone tomorrow, isn't he going to cover you? You're valuable. Wow, you're so valuable. You're precious. And here's what Jesus told him. He said, the pagans, the worldly people, they chase after these things. They're worried about those things. They want those things. But you don't do that. You can't add another day to your life. You, don't, you just don't need to worry about those things. And this is the pattern, what he gave us. The pattern of provision. You ready for it? Jesus spoke. All right? God spoke. We obey. He provides. Ready? Jesus spoke these words. Something to obey. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. So what does that mean to my life? What does that mean to your life? It means I seek Him first. I get up early and I walk late. That means I obey early and obey late. Even though the journey's hard, even though it's long, I have to find and make sure that the decisions I make, the daily decisions, I am obeying Christ and I am seeking Him, His kingdom, His righteousness, His mercy, His mission, His plan. That's got to be number one on my plate. If it is, then I don't have to worry about the other things. He's going to provide. He's going to provide. My question to you today is this. What are you in need of? Because it's in this place, where you are, where you sit, in your pew right now, where you're at in your home, wherever you are, when God's ready to provide, that is the place that he's going to provide it because he's with you. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I've got some things I need God to move in. I need provision. I need answers. Folks, some of the hardest things are are answers for situations for other people that you wish that they would get it. You wish they would repent. You wish that they would just turn to Christ. You wish that you could break their bondages for them. You wish that they could do this and that. But folks, you can't do that for them, but you can believe God to do it. Amen? So I'm here today. If you're here and you say, Pastor, there's, there's some provision that I need from the Lord. Just lift your hand. I see him. 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 Awesome. Awesomeness. I'm going to challenge you with something. Are you willing to come up and allow us to pray with you and believe with you for God to move in that situation? Now, this isn't the be-all, end-all of it. If you don't feel like coming up here, you don't have to come up here. And, 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 and if you don't come up, don't feel like God has rejected you. I had a phone, phone call with Kevin the other day, and he was all worried about an altar call that he didn't respond to. He said, I should have went. I was just feeling impressed of God and it bothered him that evening. And he went back and repented. Listen, do you realize the same result was the same thing? Whether he did it at the altar call or he did it at home, it doesn't matter. The main thing is, is that he repented. Amen? So the altar isn't the only place you can do this. But I want to challenge you, if you would let us come, come up and let us anoint you with oil and pray over you and believe for God to provide, he's going to do it. So as Alyssa just kind of plays some music soft, I'm just going to challenge you, give you a minute if you'd like to come up and receive prayer and believe God with me for him to prepare uh, to, to provide those things. Just go ahead and come on up now. Folks will come up and gather around you. We're going to pray and believe.
I promise nobody's going to slap you, spit in your face. I may have some preacher breath going on. Please forgive me for that. Get the dry mouth. Praise God. Come on up. Don't be shy. You got to move early and stay late. Amen? Believe God to move. Jesus said that His Father's good and earthly fathers know how to give gifts to their children, good gifts to their children. We're imperfect. How much more so our Father in Heaven to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? We're going to receive some things today because it's in this place, it's in that place, it's where you are that He provides.